Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, and I think it is, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's get to it. morning here in Chicago. You're going to hear some ambient sounds possibly during this broadcast. I have all the windows and doors open in the vaunted and highly respected studios of Aurora Media Productions. Uh, I spent the whole week with my son in Upper Michigan and his wife. And um, I got to tell you, you know, there's some great value in immersing myself in a place where there's more trees than people sometimes. And it doesn't take long for the city rust to knock itself off. I lived in the Upper Peninsula for 20 years or so, and it's an incredible place. If you've not been there, uh, head north uh, from where you're at, and eventually you'll find the UP of Michigan. It's one of the greatest kept secrets, I think, in our country. Beautiful, beautiful landscapes and the water. And oh my gosh, it's just the the energy there is, uh, is so leveling to me. And I don't realize how much I need a break until I get out of the rat race and realize I've become a rat again to some greater or lesser degree. So I made this mandate that on this trip, I'm not working at all, which is rare for me. Uh, because of the nature of my business, when a project comes along, uh, I, I tend to you know really dig in and, and uh, handle it no matter what I'm doing uh, outside of regular work parameters. Technology allows me to take my audio rigs with me and do things, you know, wherever I'm at in the world. So, so all that was in play. And there was one project kind of hanging on the precipice of possibility that I backed out of because I thought, you know what, I'm not doing it this time. Um, over the years, because of the schedule I keep, uh, there are times that that's not an option. Well, this time it was an option. So taking the earbuds off, shutting down the microphone, no computer for a week, I can't tell you how much that reset my brain. And the schedule that I live in day to day is an internal compass that keeps me ticking along. So I go to bed about the same time. I get up pretty early the next morning. My regular routine is, you know, work when it's dark out and then hit the coffee and, uh, and, and keep going with projects. When that's interrupted, I'm, I'm reminded of that principle that I've talked about so many times in so many places that I learned back in kinesiology class in college called SAID, which is specific adaptation to, oh, there's a siren, enjoy that. Not only the bird's doing great, apparently somebody's being chased down for a speeding ticket, who knows. Anyway, uh, SAID is specific adaptation to imposed demands. And in kinesiology terms, that has to do with how you're working out and physical fitness and like that. So your body adapts to the demand placed on it for better or for worse. And long ago, there comes another one. Welcome back to the city. <laughs> I haven't heard a siren for a week. Just that uh, omission from my ears and my mind uh, was refreshing. But anyway, uh, for better or for worse, SEID is basically the law. It's the way that works. So if you go to the gym on a regular basis and you hydrate and eat good food and work out and stretch and all those kind of things that we should do to keep our machine in order, 
you're going to look okay. You're going to do certain things in a certain way and get a certain result. If you don't do those things, then you get results in a different direction. So this is one of those no-brainers. This is one of those obvious buried in the absurd. If you want to stay in shape, you have to do certain things to do that. And if you don't want to stay in shape, you can sit on the couch, eat bags of Dorito, and watch reruns of Sanford and Son, or whatever your TV show of choice is. But that, to me, also applies to the rest of our lives. And I am no exception. The specific adaptation of the demands placed on me, which when it comes to my professional work, is an ongoing um, assembly line to some greater or lesser degree of a lot of audio work. Whether I'm doing this podcast, which basically, and and quite honestly, is a one-off for me each week because it's the time I get a chance to kind of relax a little bit and talk about what's on my mind and not be producing material for other people. Uh, I also do the John and Jen show, which airs tomorrow in Washington, D.C. on WCRW. Uh, noon central time. And then before that, I do the music show, the Tao of music, which takes a bit of production and things like that to get done. So there's those, then I'm doing audio books for people and then other stuff floats in all the time. So my body and my mind has adapted to that demand that's been placed on me. It's not for everybody for sure. Uh, there are days that I long for the, uh, the times of yesteryear when all I had to do was drive into a radio studio, wherever that might've been, and flip a switch at noon or three or whatever it would have been and talk for three or four hours and and then I'd leave and that was the end of it. Well, that's not how my life is these days. And it may come back around again, it may not. But for now, this is the demand being placed on me and I've learned to adapt to that. We all do. And if you don't adapt to things, you kind of get your ass handed to you. And in small ways, it doesn't have to be always a big debilitating thing, but over time, you got to take a break. You got to disconnect, at least in my opinion. And I think it's important to do that. So when the opportunity came to go up for a week and, and not have any work, I can't tell you uh, how nice it was to be away from a computer and a microphone for a week. Now, this is coming from a guy that has made my living and earned my keep with those tools, with computers and microphones and all the rest of the, the gadgets and gadgets that go along with that. But sometimes you got to disconnect. Uh, I don't need Wi-Fi all the time. And um, it didn't take long before the balance, the equilibrium started coming back. I'm pretty convinced that all of us have a couple things going on we may not even be aware of. Number one is uh, TMS, which is Turbulent Mind Syndrome. I'm not sure that it's a defined medical term in you know the New England Journal of Medicine, But I've heard the term a few places, and I have a friend of mine who talked about it years ago, and I've adapted it to my own uh, needs. And turbulent mind syndrome is that, you know, because that adaptation to impose demand things, I don't believe our reptilian brainstem and our brain has fully adapted or ever fully adapts to all the influx of information coming to us. And it kind of scrambles our eggs a little bit on an ongoing basis. It's just too much. And I know it's too much because when I remove myself from it, my mind starts to get clearer. It starts to settle down a little bit. I feel a little bit better. And I don't have that mind fog going on from the constant bombardment of all this shit going on in the world that I can't do a thing about for the most part. I mean, I really can't. You know, I came back and checked my Yahoo mail, which has been sitting for five or six days untouched. And there was 37 emails in there, which is not really that many anymore. There were times in my life I had thousands of them. But I come back and there's these 37 emails. 
They either wanted me to buy something or give money to somebody, this political stuff. And everyone was urgent, urgently needed. Got to do it right now. Well, apparently effing not because I didn't have to get to them. And I voted before I left for Michigan. And I think there's got to be a way to every two years and every four years when these election cycles roll around and this crap comes flowing to us. Number one is if I ever ran for office, and I won't, but if I ever did, so it's kind of an oxymoron, uh, I would never spend a dime on mailers. I don't know anybody, anybody that gets something in the mail and or four or five or six pieces in the mail. I don't know any human uh, that has ever looked at these pamphlets, flyers, and all this stuff that gets mailed out and said, oh, this is going to make the difference in my voting process. Now, there may be somebody, I just don't know them, and I can only really talk about myself. I don't even look at them. So all this money raised that goes to these flyers that end up right in the junk drawer, meaning the garbage, waste of time, waste of money, waste of trees, waste of ink, in my opinion. Same thing goes for those ads on TV. But my point is that there's got to be a mechanism. I'm trying to figure it out. Could be my big breakthrough that once you voted, somehow your TV blocks political ads. Wouldn't that be great? You've already voted. It's already done. And and same thing goes for emails. So once you voted, somehow somewhere in the ether, uh, they leave you alone because done and done. Anyway, that's uh, that's a little sidebar. But because of those type of things, urgently needed, urgently needed, urgently needed. If we don't send me money, then the other guys are going to win. And then I get an email from the other guys saying, urgently needed, urgently needed. If you don't send me money, the other guys are going to win. People get stuck in the middle of a tug of war constantly. And it's not good for us. It, it just isn't. And it's almost like, I, I'm going to use this as a metaphor. It might not be the best one, but it's like being an alcoholic or a drug addict, right? So when you're in it, you don't think you're in it, meaning you can't it's somebody else's problem. It's not your fault that these things are going on and, and you have this addiction. You can't see it. You have a blind spot to your own stuff. And people on the outside can see it, but you can't see it. And I think when you're in this turbulent mindset where, where it so moves us around in a way and spins us around in ways that we can't possibly uh, think clearly, it, it becomes its own worst compound interest. And it, and it consumes itself, and it consumes us in the process. So this past week, I watched the news in Upper Michigan where there's been no murders, no bombings, you know, no nefarious activity, and it's about who won the baseball game at the Little League, and, you know, they're having a bake sale somewhere. And there's a couple stories they get in to kind of, you know, get at you to watch later. There's nothing to them, but it's all that tea stuff. And to not hear about murders every day and all the rest of the crap that's going on in the world, my brain kind of regained its normal dimensions. It wasn't swollen up all the time. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So the turbulent mind syndrome is a real thing. And if you combine the turbulent mind syndrome with, I am sure on some level, every human on this planet that's connected to the internet, especially or any other media outlet, we all have PTSD on some level, greater or lesser degree, because it doesn't line up. Listen, the odds of being born are one in 400 trillion, something I've talked about a lot on this show in a lot of places, did a whole TED talk on this uh, in 2018 up in Ontario, Canada. The odds of being born are one in 400 trillion. And then you get to the planet and you know you come in and everybody's a clean slate when they get here. 
everybody, everybody, every baby, everybody is a clean slate, wide open. And between the time we're born and, and 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, the way we see the world becomes ingested into us and impacted into us. And all the, the things that, that play out during our lives are basically embedded in that time. And if you're an aware person, at some point you realize, well, this works for me and this doesn't work for me. If you're an unaware person, you don't even have those questions in your head. And so at some point you got to go, this is all there is? This is what it means to be alive, this constant push and pull of who's right and who's wrong and who did what to who. And it's like eight-year-olds are running the planet. And sometimes I believe that's the case. So it doesn't compute. So this constant post-traumatic stress thing, whether it's school shootings, whether it's pandemics, whether it's the economy, there's a whole laundry list of crap that frankly you can't control. And for the most part, you can't change except for one thing. You can disconnect from it. That's the other big aha, right? All those emails were so urgent. They're sitting there all week, untouched. Not so urgent. But my mind looks at it, urgent. What's this? Oh, here's a guy running for office. He needs $14 by midnight or it's the end of the world. What a bunch of crap. So disconnecting from this stuff has been a great reminder to me. Great, I mean, huge. That... It's important to keep finding ways to scrape the rust off that builds up so subtly and so, uh, so much over time that we don't even realize that it's there until we realize that it's there and you get out of it and you go, wow, there's a bald eagle over the Lake Superior uh, Bay there. How cool is that? Very cool, I will tell you. So there's that piece of it. Just disconnecting was important. And I, ha I have flown a couple times since the pandemic's been over, basically, and to get on planes with people is now interesting to me again, meaning you can see people's faces and not everybody's wearing a mask. And I sat next to a delightful woman named Diane from New York City on the way back from Detroit yesterday to Chicago. And she had a cast on her arm. She was older. And I sat down. And when I travel, for, you know, sometimes I wear my Coast Guard hat, veterans thing. And uh, I sat down and she thanked me for my service, which was very nice. Uh, do a little representing for the 5th Military Branch. And she told me about her father, who was a 96-year-old Navy veteran who was in World War II, and he lives in New York, and she was taking chocolates to him. She was flying from Chicago to New York to take her dad chocolate candy. And I said, really? You, you flew all the way? She goes, yeah, I lived in New York. I was actually born in Buffalo, lived in New York for years, and my husband and I are well past retired. We want to live somewhere, so we moved to Chicago. Now, listen. If you listen to the news every day here in Chicago, nobody wants to move here. It's the worst state in the, in the union. There's all these gang murders and there's this terrible traffic. And she didn't think none of that. She thought Chicago was an incredible city. She goes, oh my God, I love it here. It's much cleaner than New York. She saw it opposite side of all the crap that we see on TV every night. So she's going on and on about this chocolate candy. And I said, well, where did you get this great chocolate that you would fly from Chicago to New York to give your pop? And she mentioned Superior Nut Company. And I'm giving them a free plug here. Every now and again, we go out to the Kane County Fair, which I'll probably be doing later today. And they have their, you know, kind of table set up there. And they have the best freaking candy on the planet. And I said, oh, I know where that place is. And she lit up like a Christmas tree. What are the odds? There's 9 million people in Chicago, including she and I. We'd be on that plane. We'd be talking about chocolate, or she would. 
and that I knew exactly where she got it. Now, if you're a well-traveled Chicagoan, probably not that big a deal, but it was a bonding, connecting experience. And we got we started talking about life and all the things that go into it, and the ups and downs and the ins and outs and how difficult it can be, but you overcome those things. It was so refreshing, so refreshing. It was in-person social connection at its best. She's a delightful little human being. And when we finished the flight, I thanked her for the talk and I pulled her bag out from over the head and she had a little uh, cast on her wrist because she'd broken her wrist at some point. And she said, well, I sure hope to run into you again. I said, it could happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. What I'm getting at here is that these connections we have as humans to each other, those rarely show up on the news. And if they do, it's one story at the end after they told you how shitty the world is for the day. Oh yeah, by the way, it's okay because there's this one person over here who was flying to take chocolate steward dad in New York and he's 96 years old and he's a Navy veteran. And here comes another siren. <laughs> it's inevitable. I guess it's inevitable. And I can't even express, you know, I'm sitting here struggling a little bit to get the right words because I haven't really talked a whole lot this past week. I was up late hanging with the fellas and the kids and and having a great time and didn't think about media, didn't think about the work. And I did think about a couple things that were like flashbacks for me. And one of them was when I was a kid, we'd go once a year to Appleton, Wisconsin and the surrounding Fox Valley area to visit cousins. And we stayed at this little place called the Dreamland Motel. Dreamland Motel was right off College Avenue accident uh, on 41. You get off of College Avenue, you zip around, you come out of the frontage road and about, I don't know, quarter mile down, on your left-hand side was this Dreamland Motel owned by the Wilchesses family, which I, why would I remember their name? But there it is. The file drawer open and there they are. I could see their little faces. They owned this place, maybe, I don't know, 10 rooms. Plus they had these cabins in the back that were up right against the tree line by the pines. And for a city kid to get out of the concrete jungle and go to Appleton, Wisconsin, it was like going to the end of the world. And to stay in those cabins in the back by the tree line, and as I recall, the cabin had two sides to it. So there was uh, like a king bed in one side, and then there was an adjoining room on the other side. And in the middle was a bathroom, a common bathroom. And my sister and I slept on one side, my mom and dad on the other, but the bathroom was in the middle. It connected to the two rooms. And in that bathroom, and in the other rooms, but there were these little crank-out windows. And you crank the window out, and the smell of jack pine came in. And I had the moment at my son's house where that same thing happened decades later. Just got out of the shower, cranked the window open to let the air in. And they're right on the, I mean, it lives in the upper peninsula. There's trees everywhere. And I could smell that jack pine coming in the dirt and the ground and the air. And all of a sudden it was 1969 again or 1970. It was an amazing little experience. It was quite a treat. And again, it reminds me of there are pieces embedded in my brain that have still not been touched by the turbulent mind syndrome and or the PTSD that we all have. And I think it's vitally important to resurrect those, to open those file drawers, to find ways to do that. So when I came back last night, I was catching up a bunch of things on email and all the rest because, you know, you got to get back in the swing of things. And that's all good too. But with a different energy, with a very different energy. And I started thinking about things I had not thought about for a while, like writing. You know, I, I work for other people quite a bit. So my writing, my creating gets pushed off to the side. And I had this thought 
maybe it's time to go at it one more time. Uh, I have four or five fiction pieces sitting on my, my drawing board and, uh, they may need my attention before I run out of time and to do some of those things and, and to, to, to make time for that, which isn't something I think about because I'm too busy working on other stuff. So the long and short of it, of this little rant today is take time, find time. And those two things together, making the time and finding time creates something of a different time. And I, I can't even begin to tell you how much that is needed by people like Diane taking the chocolates to her dad, uh, seeing Chicago such a great place. And then, you know, I've been the opposite. I mean, we sit and watch the news here, listen to the traffic. So I know how long it takes me to get downtown. You get wrapped up in that stuff. She was just taking chocolates to her dad. I just found that the most refreshing thing in, in a very, very long time. Last piece of this is my old buddy John Denver has been floating around for about a week and a half, two weeks in my orbit. I don't know what's going on with that. I, uh, I'm very, very aware of synchronicity in my life. I don't think I can control it, but I can respect it and observe it and pay attention to it. And so when things start showing up in multiples for me, uh, I start to pay attention a little bit more. Started, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, and either a song would pop up three times in a row on the same station or some weird thing in the car. People would send me text messages uh, that I haven't heard from in three or four years, these people. And they're sending me this, hey, I heard this John Dever song, I know your friend. And, and, and that stuff started to stack on itself. Matter of fact, last week, I believe, uh, Jennifer Weigel and I talked about that a little bit when somebody sent her stuff that didn't even know that I knew John. So it's just, it's all of that. So then on Father's Day, Annie Denver calls me and we have a wonderful conversation about some projects that are coming up and she needed my advice on some things and just to talk and reconnect. And it got me paying attention. One night we were out at the bar having a few after having a great dinner uh, this past weekend in the UP and on the jukebox comes Calypso. Now, I don't know that they have any John Denver. Uh, I mean, I guess he's on every karaoke bar in the world probably. So, you know, there's that. And it was my son who dropped the nickel on it. It probably wasn't a nickel. It was probably a dollar for a song. But he went over and popped it in. And here we are having this conversation. And, and Calypso comes up the song, which you're going to hear in a minute. And at the same time, when the song's playing, I get a text message from Annie Denver at like 11 o'clock at night in the UP. And... The song, it just like melded into one thing. And I think these things take place for me, can't speak for anybody else, but they take place for me when that opening is created by pushing back on the stuff that doesn't matter as much as I think it does during the week. And while those things need my attention and business is important and I get all that, magical things happen when you, when you leave space for them. Now on the big picture, I don't really even know what it all means. Maybe you don't have to. But I know that there's something going on that has nothing to do with me, and I need to pay attention to that. And when I end up paying attention to those things, they usually lead to something else. So the next day, Annie calls again, and I'm sitting in the chair having a cup of coffee, and we're catching up on this project that's taking place that you'll hear more about in October. And we just have this wonderful conversation. And, and, and whatever that ending is, whatever that beginning is in these things, 
It could be anybody, quite frankly. I'm just using this as an example. I've had so many people, like I wouldn't be surprised, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, if I see Diane again. If I go to the flea market and she's there, I wouldn't be surprised. Something happens with that. The synchronicities in our lives uh, have great meaning. And I think they're almost like a pathway to something else if we pay attention. So I'm sitting here this morning back in the air chair, as I call it, with my big mug of coffee and had a little breakfast. I'm watching the sun come up and thinking, you know, what is it that I want to add to the pile today to the people that listen to this podcast? And that's the number one thing was make time because we're all running out of time. Make time before we run out of time and find the time. It's there. When you pull back and think, I just need 20 minutes to shut everything off and maybe shut everything off anyway during the day. So much of what comes to us is not good for us. Bottom line, I'll debate anybody on that. This information that comes to us does not always lead to good transformation. It just pisses us off. And I know that being alive is more than just being pissed off all the time about stuff you can't control. Not good. So make the time before we run out of time is the news of the day. I don't want to leave you with this version of Calypso. The song hit number one in July of 1975, 47 years ago. So all the timing is there for that, and I just find it a refreshing intervention. I was one of those kids that uh, watched the Undersea World of Cousteau every Tuesday night at 6.30 on ABC and just wanted to go sail on that ship. And uh, in this song, John kind of takes us all along for the ride. So find the time, make the time, take the time. It'll be worth it. It's a great investment. Until next time, be well, safe travels. I appreciate you listening. Adios. To sail on a dream On a crystal clear ocean To ride on the crest Of a wild raging storm To work in the service of life and the living In search of the answers to questions unknown To be part of the movement and part of the growing Part of beginning to understand I could show the places you've been Stories you tell I Calypso I sing to your spirit The men who have served you So long and so well
Thank you everybody.